Hey, so if you haven't met me before, my name's um, Ray Thompson. I'm the pastor here. Um, and um, I am a first-generation Christian, so I'm still working it out. So any other first-generations here? Congratulations. Well done. That's awesome. So good. Um, if, are there, who, who are legacy, legacy Christians? People who have had like parents and grandparents praying for them for forever and for years. That's so good. That's awesome. It's so cool that... You know, we all come from different backgrounds, different um, places. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today is our, um, our theme for this year is regen or regeneration, which basically means the act of renewing, spiritual renewal, redeeming any situation so that um, there's new growth. And so um, what we talked about, or what I talked about a couple of weeks ago, was a thing called unpack your bags. In order to go into the new season that God has for you, a bit like when we go on a journey, you have to unpack your bags from the last season, alright? Because otherwise, even if the clothing that you had, even if the stuff that you had for that season was good, it's going to end up stinky, it's going to end up rank. Um, if I was to go from the Northern Hemisphere to the Southern Hemisphere, it doesn't matter if I've got the nicest clothes in the world, they're not going to be good for that season, hey? So, um, that was what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um... One of the things that we talked about for our vision for this year is that um, if this is going to be a year of regeneration, like both personally and on a um, community level, we need to actually start believing for the fact that it's possible for um, our community, our region to be saved in one generation. All right? So that when it comes to, when it comes to our kids uh, you know, standing on our shoulders, hopefully what we give them is something which is far different to what we had. It's like, oh my goodness, look at what God has done in this generation. And so that um, our future generations can come, can take it and run with it, which I think is cool. So if that's the case, if we're going to go out and we're going to believe ridiculous things, so we need to deal with some of the stuff that um, might be holding us back. And so um, I just wanted to talk about something that, as a first-generation Christian, my godparents were literally my godparents. They were the ones who took me to, um, they were the ones who took me to church. Um, Mum and Dad were quite often not up when I went to church. Um, they'd, they'd sometimes not be up when I come home either, just because of, um, you know, first-generation Christian and they're freezing workers, and so Saturday nights were Saturday nights, really. And so... Um, I'm really thankful for my godparents, but at the, at, at the same time, the church that I grew up in was a really traditional church, um, and um, I learned some of the, I learned Bible stories, I learned my faith there, which is awesome, but there was one thing that was always a wee bit interesting, and it was the fact that quite often God was presented as this angry dude, that if you took, if, and I think maybe that's perhaps because I was, a, you know, first generation Christian, so I didn't quite fit the mould, but um, for, for me... Following God was kind of like a tightrope, yeah? So it was like, this is the line that God wants you to walk, and if you walk one step to the left, or one step to the right, bang, you're going to get hit with the punishment hammer. Alright? So I actually grew up thinking that God didn't like me. I, I grew up thinking that God was far away from me, and I grew up thinking that if, um, if I was to step out of line, the response would be punishment. Yeah. So this was the thing. So when it comes to God, I was kind of, I was actually kind of fearful, like I was actually afraid of God. And so that, that's actually a pretty hard basis for a relationship. 
Okay? When you're walking down the street, um, you know, trying to find a potential partner, you don't go, oh my goodness, he looks quite scary. <laughs> I think I'll date him. That's, that's not a good basis for a relationship. So what I wanted to talk about today is maybe just, um, just a chance for us to maybe revisit who God is in our lives. Who is God to us? Who am I to you? So anyway, the way that we're going to do that is, um, is a message that I've got called Shake It Off. Now, just to get it out of the way and um, just to try and stay hip, cool and relevant, um, yes, there is a famous Taylor Swift song um, that happens to be called Shake It Off. Um, but I'm not going to talk about that today. Um, I'm, I'm just going to keep cruising. Um, I can't stop. I won't stop moving. Um, it's actually like I've got this music in my mind saying it's going to be all right, all right? Because the player's going to... Thanks, Annalise, you got there. All right, the player's going to play, 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 play. And the hater's going to... Jules, you know the words, don't you? Look at me. Don't look at me and go, oh, I don't know the words. What are you talking about, Taylor, Taylor Swift too? Sorry. All right. Baby, I'm just going to shake, 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 shake. I shake it off, shake it off. Heartbreaker's walking out the door there. Heartbreaker's going to break, 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 break. And the fake is going to fake, 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 fake. Baby, I'm going to shake, 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 shake. I shake it off, shake it off. Good, so there you go. You can uh, hold on to that. Um, it's a good recording. Um, I expect that to go viral anytime soon. But actually... It talks about in the Bible about this unshakable kingdom, that there's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it also talks about in the Bible um, about these two mountains. Now, um, we've gone to great expense, um, and we've actually brought a couple of mountains into the, uh, into the auditorium today. Um, it's pretty good. This is, this is genuinely the extent of my, um, my um, renovating skills at this point in time. Um, they may look suspiciously like pellets, but they're mountains, okay? Alright? And there's these two mountains. And with, this, with these two mountains, um, in the Bible, in Hebrews, just after, um, just after the passage that I talked about a couple of weeks ago where it was running the race with endurance, you know, stripping off all that hinders, me, uh, hinders us and the sin that so easily ensnares us, I run towards the goal. Alright? But just straight after that, it talks about these two mountains. Yeah, So you've got the mountain of joy, and you've got the mountain of fear. Now, um, you might be sitting there and thinking, and how it's often preached is, um, well, the mountain of fear, that's the bad place, and the mountain of joy, that's the good place. Which is kind of true to an extent. But actually, when it talks about the two mountains in the Bible in Hebrews... Um, it actually talks about two different ways which we can view God. Like, that's actually the context of the passage. There's two different ways that we can view God. There's two different ways that we can kind of relate to God. And one is a fairly old school way, the mountain of fear. And one is the new covenant, which is the mountain of joy. So I'm just going to read it out, and, and I hope you guys uh, get it, alright? So... This passage is Hebrews 12, verse 18 to 29, if you've got your Bibles. Um, I'm reading out of the message version. So it's called an unshakable kingdom. Um, NIV and a couple of other translations will actually call it the mountain of fear and the mountain of joy, okay? So here we go. Unlike, so verse 18, unlike your ancestors, you didn't come to Mount Sinai. Remember, Mount Sinai was where Moses met God. 
all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. The ear-splitting words and soul-shaking message terrified them and they begged them to stop. When they heard the words, if an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead. They were afraid to move. Even Moses was terrified. One of the things I really love about the Bible, one of the things that I hear coming through, have you ever noticed that God gets closer throughout the story of the Bible? So God, originally when we were supposed to be, we were supposed to be hanging out naked in the garden together, that was the original plan. That, that was actually what we were supposed to be doing. And then as a result of our choices, that meant that God was distant for a time. But then the rest of the Bible is progressively God getting closer and closer to us to the point that he... We go up to God, then he's beside us in Jesus, and eventually he lives in us with the Holy Spirit, which is pretty awesome. God gets closer. It's a really good, it's a really good picture. So anyway, we've got, this old, we've, got this, we've got this old mountain, the mountain of fear. But this is what it goes on to say. No, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by throngs of festive angels, I don't know what festive angels look like. Is it like angels with Santa hats on? I don't know. And and Christian citizens. It is the city where God is judge, with judgments that make us judge. Ah, just, sorry. Judgments that make us just. You've come to Jesus, who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He is the mediator of this covenant. The murder of Jesus, unlike Abel's, a homicide that cried out for vengeance, becomes a proclamation of grace. So God is our judge, Jesus is our mediator, and also the victim. The system is biased towards us. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored earthly warnings didn't get away with it, what would happen to us if we turn our back on heavenly warnings? His voice that time shook it, uh, his voice that time his voice that time shook the earth to its foundations. This time, he's told us this quite plainly, he'll also rock the heavens. One last shaking from top to bottom, stem to stern. The phrase one last shaking means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and, unclut- uh, and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we should be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God, for God is not an indifferent bystander. How good is that? God is not an indifferent bystander in our lives. He wants to be an active part of our lives. He's not a clockmaker. He hasn't made this thing called creation and then just gone, well, that's it. That's my job done. He actively wants to work in our lives. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't quit until it's all cleansed. God himself is fire. So it's a pretty interesting passage, actually, because another time in the Bible it says God is love, and then you've got God is fire. It's pretty unusual. But the great thing is, is that we have the choice of these two mountains to bow down to. And now I don't mean worship them, but there's this picture of the old school, God is angry at us. God is far from us. That shaking where we have to be fearful. And then this new mountain where God lives there with us, that we're joyful, that we, that we can worship there. So this is my thought. How do you operate when it comes to God? 
Do you operate as if you're living at the mountain of fear? Or do you operate as if you're living at the mountain of joy? See, the thing is, is that if we're going to bow down to the mountain of joy, if we're actually going to be hanging out in this space, what that means is that we actually need to put ourselves in a position where we can be shaken, where we can be moved. See, one of the things that, we, if we're in a place of joy, um, negative emotions, are pretty, it's, a pretty difficult, um, it's a pretty difficult thing to actually to hold on to. You right, buddy? So here's my thought. If we're going to be unshakable, there's actually stuff that we need to give up. All right? So if we're going to be unshakable, basically the stuff in our lives which is insecure, the stuff in our lives which is shaky, we need to be willing and ready to sort of put it on the table for God to be able to deal with that stuff. So the stu- probably the stuff that we hide on the inside the most is actually the stuff that God wants to take from us so that that which is shakeable within us, that which is insecure within us, that which makes us feel weak, He actually wants us to be in a position of strength, not because of who we are, but because of who God is in our lives, yeah? So if that's the case, here's a couple of thoughts. If we're going to reach the lost and the broken, the unlovable, the downtrodden, we must be willing to give up our right to a good reputation. That's what Jesus did. So in order to reach the unreachable and love the unlovable, Jesus gave up the right to a good reputation. If we're going to be willing to engage with a disengaged community, we need to give up our right to be offendable. So if we're, if we're here at the mountain of joy with the living God living within us, we can't be offendable, or at least we need to make very clear and very sure that if we're offended, it's for the same things that God would be offended at. If we're going to be loved to the unlovable, we need to give up our right to dislike and to hate. If we're going to put, our, uh, if we're going to put others before ourselves, we need to give up our right to be first in our lives. If we want to reach out to those that need hope, we need to give up our right to feel a situation is hopeless. If we want to be bold and fearless, we need to give up our right to be embarrassed and ashamed. You see this exchange that takes place at the mountain of joy. There's this exchange that takes place is that if we're going to be in a place where where we're standing is unshakable and we're immovable, we need to actually put those things in our lives which we might have been holding on to for too tightly and too long. Away. So in a similar way to unpacking your bags, we need to put ourselves in a place where we can actually be shaken. Have you ever noticed that you've been through a difficult situation in your life, and as a result of being through that difficult situation, there's a strength that comes from it? That's shaking the, uh, that's shaking the shakeable. See, if God's going to use difficult situations in your life for your greatest maximum good, then we need to actually realize that if we're going through a difficult time, there's actually stuff that God wants us to learn through those situations, through those difficulties. And negatives don't survive on the mount- at the mountain of joy. The second thing that I, I, I wanted to just ask is when it comes to God, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, one of the questions that God asked, uh, sorry, Jesus asked more than once is, who do you say I am? Who am I to you? See, the thing is, is that The story of the Bible is a story about us going back into right relationship with God. We were in right relationship at the start, and we messed it up. 
And then the rest of the Bible is the story of God wanting to reconnect with us, wanting to redeem us, wanting to come closer to us again. And the reason you need to ask that question is the way in which you perceive God affects the way we live as Christians. See, the way that we operate, if we've got a God who we should fear, if we've got a God who we should, um, who will, whose voice will rumble, whose voice will shake the heavens, if we have this, then that's how we operate. We operate out of fear. When we tell people about Jesus, we don't tell people about the good news. We try and sell people fire insurance. But if we're at the mountain of joy, then we're talking about the love and the hope that walking with Jesus every day places in our life. It's an, there's an attractiveness to that. See, the way in which you perceive God affects the way you live as a Christian. It's interesting that in this passage that the two choices aren't between light and darkness. It's not between heaven and hell, but it's between the old way where we get what we deserve. We're guilty and so we deserve punishment. Or the new way where actually we give up the right to feel guilty. We can't be guilty. If Jesus has called us innocent, we don't get to be guilty anymore. We don't get to feel guilty anymore. If, we, if you live in guilt every day of your life, that's a place that Jesus doesn't want you to live. That's bowing down to the mountain of fear. Now, sure, there might be times where he'll convict you about something, where there'll just be a, a grief placed on your heart. But actually, that's not forever. That's for something to deal with in your life. And once it's dealt with, you're at the mountain of joy again. We give up the right to be, give, uh, to be guilty. So in the Old Covenant and the Old, uh, Old Testament... Do you notice God actually teaches people who he is in the Old Testament? And then once it comes to the New Testament, Jesus is asking the disciples, who do you say I am? See, the thing is, is the, thing is, is the way we define a relationship actually, um, the way we define a relationship actually shows how we operate out of it. If I, Shannon and I, who I love, she's a good lady, I think she's quite hot, um, don't be embarrassed, darling. You, I just said you have to give up the right to embarrass me. Now, um, I love. If I decided to define that relationship as a friendship, then we're crossing all kinds of boundaries we shouldn't be crossing. If I decided, if Shannon decided that in my life I was just going to be like a big brother to her, then that would have completely changed the way that we conducted our relationship, or at least it jolly well should have. Okay, if that's the case. So how we define our relationships is actually really super important. So during a discussion with his disciple, Jesus asked him, but what about you? Who do you, I, who do you say I am? So it's Matthew 16. The way in which we answer this question is to do with our relationship, his nature in our life, his purpose in our life, and more. See, who God is in our lives lays the foundation. See, his nature and his plan involves redemption for human beings and restoration of a fallen creation. It also tells us some important things about God, like he is personal, he is loving. He is transcend, uh, transcendent, uh, transcendent. He's active in his creation. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. And he's all-knowing. See, without Christ, there's no Christianity. Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith. As a result, knowing about Christ is essential. Knowing who Jesus is to you is really important, as well as personal. Our relationship to Christ ties into our human condition, our redemption, and our salvation. See, um, who, do I, who am I to you? 
Um, Shannon and I, um, we met each other when we were 16. And actually, throughout the different times, Shannon, it'll come as no great surprise to anyone, was more mature than I was. All right? And so... Oh, an actual laugh. That's great. Thank you. Um, and as a result of that, what would happen is as we developed, as we got, went on different journeys with our walk with God and stuff like that, we actually had to d- change the definition of how we walked with each other depending on where we were at. So there were actually times in the six years that we were dating, uh, that, yeah, yeah, that we were dating, um, where we were just friends because that was the best way to define what our relationship was. And then quite often at the end of those friendship stages, um, we'd have to redefine our relationship because friends don't kiss like we kiss. All right? So how we answer the question, who am I to you, or avoid the question, defines your relationship. So who is Jesus to you? Who is your Jesus? Is he your Jesus? We need to be shakeable. We need to be movable. So that in that process we become unshakable and that we build on what's immovable. Christ needs to be the cornerstone and the compass by which we define our whole lives. Because that's, that'll change the direction that we wander in. See, Ephesians 2 verse 19 and 20 says, Consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. And also members of this household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself. As the chief cornerstone. So I've presented these two mountains to you. So you've got the mountain of fear. And you've got the mountain of joy. You've got. Angry God. Punishing God. You've got. The mountain of joy. Where you're partying with the angels. Where are you right now? Where do you sit? Where do you reside? It's pretty easy to, it's pretty easy to answer that question. You, you, we kind of know where we are. So you might feel like that you're at the mountain of fear. You might feel like perhaps it's time, uh, perhaps it feels like you are there now, skirting around the base or even headed towards a tree line where the air is getting thin. I don't know about you, but I would like to spend less time on the mountain of fear and more time on the mountain of joy. I think one of the really interesting things is that Hebrews does not tell us to choose um, Zion over Sinai. uh, the, The writer of Hebrews doesn't tell us to choose joy over fear. The writer doesn't offer us a path to get from Sinai to Zion. This is not a how to manual, this is not a road map. What the writer of Hebrews actually writes is you are at the mountain of joy, you have arrived at the mountain of joy. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem with thousands upon thousands of angels. We're already there on the mountain of joy. That's what Hebrews says. I wonder how often do we revisit the mountain of fear, the old ways, the old comforts, when in fact where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, so if we're residing at the mountain of joy, it's one of those things. It's like um, deciding whether or not we're in the presence of God at any given time. And if you think about that for any longer than about 10 seconds, it's, it's actually kind of a weird thing to think. I wonder if God's here right now. I wonder whether God's with me right now. See, down that line of thinking, there just becomes an awareness of the presence of God. God, are you with me right now? 
God's with you right now. When it comes to recognizing the presence and the power of God in your life, it's not about being in the pool or out of the pool. It's not deciding whether you're standing on the edge looking at the presence of God. It's not about deciding whether you should jump in it or not. Actually, you're already wet, and it's just deciding whether or not you acknowledge the fact that you're already soaking. So we're at the mountain of joy. And that doesn't mean that it's all um, uh, unicorns and rainbows. Even here there is blood. Even here there is pain and there's suffering. But here there's also peace with the cross. Here we hear the better word, the better gospel. The word of forgiveness instead of vengeance. The word of faith instead of fear. The word of justice instead of oppression. The word of light instead of darkness. We've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. And when it feels like we are on that other mountain, when darkness and gloom, and, uh, with the darkness and gloom and storm, when there's fear threatening to overwhelm us, we must listen for the better word in our lives, for the good word, the good news spoken throughout the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's our response then to the call to come to this new mountain? This is what I reckon. Let us give thanks for the faithful who have come before us. The reason that we're here today is that there are people that have prayed for us, that have contended for us. Whether you're a first-generation Christian or, or, or you're a legacy Christian. See, one of the reasons that I'm in church now was because there were other people in my life, my godparents who would pray for me every single day. Who would, take me, who would take me out of a, a Sunday morning sleeping and literally drag me to church Sundays. There are people who have contended for you to be here right now. So let us give thanks for the faithful who have come before us, for the one who is always faithful. Let us offer to God all of our confidence, our faith, and our hope, along with our questions, our doubts, and despair. Because we do not approach a God of darkness, gloom, and storm. We come to the living, loving God. Through the new covenant offered by Jesus Christ, let us worship with reverence and with awe. So here's my prayer for you today. May you be shakable so that what is left is unshakable. May you be movable so that what is left is immovable. May you be teachable. May you have an ever-increasing revelation of the complexity to your answer to Jesus' question, Who do you say I am? In the times of trouble, in the times of hard times, even then may you bow down at the mountain of joy and not the mountain of fear.